and welcome to the Business of Property Podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. We're both property people running our own businesses, and this podcast is just us chatting, as we often do, about anything and everything property. And Simon, we were chatting just before we hit the record button, and you mentioned an acronym, RRO, which I'd never heard of, which is called, which is Rent Repayment Orders. And I thought it would be good to to hear live on the podcast what they were. I, I had a very brief look when you were, and it started to concern me, but could you share with us a little bit more about rent repayment orders? Rent repayment orders are a terrible thing, according to many landlords, especially dodgy ones, <laughs> that allows tenants to apply to the courts to have or to get their rent back. Obviously, this is when landlords fail in certain ways there are specific cases or or specific rules that a landlord has to have failed on or messed up on in order for the the application to be valid but one of the main cases or or main situations for this is a lack of licensing so it fits a lot with hmos and often fits with rent to rent operators who are doing rent to hmos and we obviously talked about rent-to-rent and particularly rent-to-HMO as a, a sort of strategy for replacing your salary last week. I also fairly recently saw an article from a lawyer website, nearlylegal.co.uk. We'll, we'll link to that in the, the show notes. This particular article was a, a summary of a number of recent RROs that had been awarded to tenants. And the this little summary was pretty much all rent-to-rent operators who were doing dodgy things. But the particularly interesting thing about it that I thought was that quite often that the tenants can apply to both the rent-to-rent operator and the actual owning landlord for these, these rent repayment orders. And they can be awarded against both or, or just one, depending on sort of the, the situation. Because anyone who's receiving rent on a property is effectively liable to to be caught up with this. So if you're a landlord and you give your property to a rent-to-rent operator thinking, oh, they'll sort everything out for me because I want an easy life, but you don't do your due diligence on that rent-to-rent operator and they go off and don't get licensed or they mess up the license or they get licensed and then they violate it by putting too many people in or whatever. And those people then that those tenants can then later come back and apply to the courts and the rent-to-rent operator uh, has gone bust or has no money or whatever, so they aren't liable anymore, can't be liable. The court can come to you as the, the actual owning landlord and say, right, you now need to repay the, these tenants' rent for the last six months or what have you. And and it, it can be up to the, the, the full rent that you, you have to pay back. So it's it's quite um, potentially quite painful. Well, when, when you first mentioned it, I heard about it specifically being around HMOs. Uh, I have to admit, my heart skipped a few beats. But then once we started learning that it was around HMO licensing, then I was felt a lot more comfortable. Obviously, my, uh, my approach is always, both my own properties and with other landlords, is one of the first questions I ask, in fact, is does it have a current HMO license? So so personally, <laughs> I I, uh, I breathe a sigh of relief. But you're right; it's 
it's clearly one of those things where I immediately think, well, if you're running an HMO and it requires a license, you should have a license. But I'm interested to know about other areas as well. Are you aware of other elements for rent repayment orders that um, <laughs> that we might need to think about other than that? Oh, no, you're putting me on the spot now. And and no, I, I can't think off the top of my head, or I'm, I'm not aware of off the top of my head, of what the other rules and regulations are. And there's stuff around licensing. There's stuff around actually having valid tenancies. So some actually, I really do recommend reading this article for for a bit of light entertainment if you're a, a fully legitimate landlord or rent to rent operator, and and just be um, well bemused perhaps by some of the things that these these operators have have got up to. Yeah, there there's all sorts of shams around licenses to to live in a property rather than a, a tenancy and people claiming that they've given permission for for certain things um when when clearly they've they've actually been doing others where companies have been set up and then disbanded and replaced with others and things because they they're just doing all sorts of crazy things just shysters yep yep exactly the the crazy thing is i mean so, some of these i think the the landlords were sort of complicit in in it being dodgy and they, they're obviously actually no i have no idea what they're doing i mean it, it's not that hard to rent out properties legitimately and i mean if you don't want to do the hard work yourself then fair enough you you pay an agent to do it or find a, a legitimate rent to rent operator but the, these people had, had clearly accepted that their rent to rent operators were going to be doing slightly questionable things or perhaps very questionable things, and I, I don't understand that that logic really. But but there are other cases where the landlords just seem to be completely oblivious to the fact that their their rent to rent operators were were going off and doing crazy illegal stuff. Well, that I, that I can understand, and that does happen, and, and I can see how it happens because particularly in rent to rent, because people that landlords that take on a rent to rent, and I've considered it myself as well as providing that service i've considered myself for the very reason there's just you just think i just want all the problems to go away because obviously that is that's the problem that the rent to renter is is solving and, and you know as one myself so i can understand how some landlords just go here you go take it all however our experience is is that whenever you think you're delegating or getting rid of a problem it, it doesn't you know, negate you of the need to be aware of that uh, and asking those questions. And, you know, I ask my uh, landlords some pretty, well, they're not tough questions, but they're tough questions to ask when you want to provide a service. You know, so one of the first questions I always say is, are you the legal owner of the property? And sometimes they go, well, of course I am. That's why I'm phoning you. I'm like, yeah, but I I can't just assume that that's the case, you know, because I I quite value my freedom. So I, I don't want to yeah, the good news for me is that most of the properties we work with are already HMOs. Therefore, my assumption, again, could prove incorrect, but my assumption is that whatever products they've got in terms of mortgage or otherwise have already been approved for that type of tenancy. But um, yeah, I've learned the hard way that by giving things to agents, I thought I was delegating activities. But of course, as, the, as a property owner, we are always responsible for the for the legal obligations and if something went wrong it, it's always it's, it's still going to sit on our door and that was a bit of a 
wake up call for me to think, actually, I need to stay on top of my agents about some of this, whether it's right to rent or, or whatever it is. So it's, a, it's actually quite an important thing. Uh, and yeah, personally, I will be looking up the, the website, even though I'll have to be careful uh, looking looking up nearly legal, just I to explain to my wife in advance what I was doing on that particular day and that it was related to property. <laughs> she looks in my Google history. Not continuing on that particular line. Yeah, these, these rent repayment orders are really crazy. I mean, some of the ones listed were tens of thousands of pounds being demanded back from, from landlords. Uh, and as you say, as a landlord, you cannot give away or remove your legal obligations so yeah you're, you're always always at risk of being liable for that and as you say uh, as a rent to rent operator there, there are going to have to be a bunch of standard questions you have to ask landlords as well as you say do you actually own the property does your mortgage or lending arrangement on the property allow you to do these sorts of things if it's a, a leasehold property does your lease allow you to do these things do you have all the appropriate licenses? Or perhaps if they don't have the appropriate licenses, maybe that would actually be part of what you provide as a rent-to-rent operator, the, the process of getting those licenses for them. Yeah. I mean, compliance is a big one for me personally, because I think not, not just the, for the legal implications, but the, the, obviously the moral and ethical ones. For me, you know, if anything happened in a house, which is more likely when there's more people in the property, and, and touch wood, hopefully very unlikely, but should the worst happen, I'd want to know that we had done whatever we needed to do, whether that's a, a PAT test or an electrical cert or whatever it is. You know, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not sitting here white to the white saying we haven't missed the expiry dates of a gas safety certificate. That has happened. But you know, I've now built in processes so that those things don't happen because we because, yeah, we just don't want those things to happen. And if, and if they do, we want to make sure that we've done everything we could to ensure that it didn't. So, yeah, it always worries me when I hear these stories. Yes, indeed. However, moving on to uh, the next topic we thought we might, might chat about today. There's a change a couple of weeks ago now that bailiffs are active again. Landlords can get on with their, uh, their tsunami of evictions and remove all these dreadful, terrible, unpaying tenants, <laughs> or something along those lines. <laughs> but it's now four months, isn't it? It's gone from six to four months. Yeah, so the, I think the, the two sort of major changes are that bailiffs are active again. So if you've got an eviction that's going through the, the court process, you can actually, uh, and you have to take it all the way through the process. So you, you get awarded the, the repossession rights the tenant still doesn't go and you have to go back to the court and actually get a, a, a bailiff appointment for them to come and remove the tenants, then, then that can happen again. So that's, that process sort of works all the way through again, assuming you can make it through it because it's now a lot more complicated than it used to be due to the, the coronavirus changes. And as you say, the other change is that the notice period you need to give on a Section 21 eviction is now shorter. So for quite a while, it's been six months. And now it is only four months. And in October, I think, it's going back down to two months. So we'll be sort of almost back to normal. I, I saw a, a headline. I probably should have read the article to see whether this, this number was real or not. But, but I saw a headline that said there are 11,000 property repossession cases currently going through the courts. 
which sounds well to me it doesn't sound that big a number i mean it's it is quite a big number but considering there are that the courts deal with thousands of repossession cases every year anyway and they this is spread out throughout the entire country that's not actually very many cases sort of in an in each sort of small area of the country so i don't i don't know if landlords have been waiting and and not sort of starting the process or whether there really just aren't that many evictions really really in progress but i've seen sort of other horrific numbers of hundreds of thousands of, of evictions being expected when when the the courts and things do open up again but yeah that, that's certainly not not the situation right now so we'll have to see if it changes so the eleven thousand, that's when the the notice period has ended and someone's then applied to court for that eviction yeah that's my understanding yeah because because my first i mean like you say eleven thousand is still a big number because at first i thought wow you know that's eleven thousand people that or, or households that need to get moved out but like you say if, if we think about the number of households and the number of uh, renters that's probably proportionally not not huge and i'm hoping that the property i've served a section 21 on which expires in in a few weeks doesn't get to that stage but I'm, i i was wondering like you if i mean if they're at notice period it's just whether or not the landlords then just sit and think because of everything else is so difficult do we do we follow through or do we just try and do this I'm sure most of us want to do it as amenably as possible with as little friction because we all know once things get, once the court's involved, not only does it take time and money, it takes a lot of emotional engagement as well. Yeah, quite. Have you been in touch with your tenant? Do you know what they're thinking or whether they they may actually move out nicely at the end of the notice period? Well, the short answer to that is yes, we have been in touch. So this particular tenant went MIA once we'd served the section 21 and it was something I didn't want to do however once I I I tried it just the the normal route discussing with the tenant the tenant's been in the property for five years I informed them that we were selling the property and would obviously need it unencumbered once uh, or, or sorry not let by the time we'd sold it and I thought was giving good notice yeah, I said, look, you know, you can have anywhere between three and six months. Have a think about it. But unfortunately, the tenant then didn't just didn't come back to me. wasn't responding to texts. wasn't responding to messages. Didn't respond to the the agents. So we were left with no option because I then had had an offer which we'd accepted, and thought, well, we need to get something fixed so that we know what's going on. Otherwise, unfortunately, the the tenant in question had had a few challenges, which we won't go into this one. We've talked about it before. But yeah, had had certain. I didn't want to because I know that you know when you serve something official like that, if if someone is a bit of a warrior and frets about things, then getting that sort of notice isn't going to help. However, it's it's all we could do. Uh, then what I did was about two or three months ago, basically booked an appointment to go and look at the property, and said that I just wanted to have an inspection, and the tenant therefore knew you know that I was going to be coming into the property. And funny enough, responded to a text that the day that I was due in. So I guess decided to head it off at the past. And and, and I then sort of just had a chat there and just said, look, you know, if things are concerning you, my view is, you know, talk to me. 
because I'm not the sort of person that's going to just, you know, just just move through and, and make things difficult for you. I'll work with you. And the good news is she then said, yeah, I'm now looking for somewhere. The, the challenge is that, you know, unfortunately, she, you know, she's in, she's in a bit of a difficult predicament in terms of employment and, and otherwise. But the people moving in are buying it to live. So, yeah, we, we don't have a, too many other options. And unfortunately, I guess that is, you know, that's renting. So we're, we're hopeful she's speaking with another landlord in the same, uh, same building, actually. It's in a Victorian building with another flat. So she's hoping that she can actually move to the flat downstairs. And, yeah, those conversations are happening. But, yeah, she, she the Section 21 expires you know, a few weeks you know, after this release date. So after that, we'd have to serve it. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm desperately hopeful that she'll have worked something out and that we can do it without sort of applying that additional pressure to her or us. How have they been doing with paying their rent during the, the notice period? It's been okay because we arranged it directly through universal credit in the end, which, which they did try and switch back, but we, we put back again in place. <laughs> I mean, there are a few arrears on the property, not not staggering amounts. I mean, I've got I've got a couple of properties where we're a good few thousand pounds in arrears, but uh, I've kind of written off many of those debts just because I've done a couple of things with solicitors in the last year. Another topic for us to discuss one day actually would be multi dwellings relief, but without getting into that topic, we 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 started proceedings against a, a solicitor, and, and I realised that. Generally, if you're getting solicitors involved, the main people that benefit are solicitors. And that, that's not to denigrate any solicitors, but it, it all costs, you know, all, all time costs money. And uh, yeah, so so for us, it's, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a bit more averse to go down the legal routes where, where, we, where we can help it. So I, I take it from that, that your, your plan, should this tenant move out nicely, or even perhaps if they shouldn't, once they have moved out, your, your plan is not to chase those rent arrears, but to, to write those off. Would, would that be right? Yes. I mean, generally, I would say yes. I think we've had conversations about how they could pay back, but there will be a deposit on the property. So that will that will, that will get taken. Uh, and then I think we'll all just move on because it'll be the easiest thing to do. It's, I, I know not everyone thinks like that, and I, I'm pretty sure my current landlord wouldn't think like that. Uh, and, and of course, it depends on values. I mean, if if I, if I stop and look at it, it might only be on this particular property. You know, I don't, don't want to give out any specific numbers out, but let's say it's in the region of a thousand to two thousand. I don't know actually exactly what it is, but it's it's going to be in that sort of ballpark. I kind of think, well, you know, if if you're going to start chasing that down, yeah, I can imagine writing a check for a thousand pounds just in terms of sorting the legal process out just to begin before. And that's, you know, that's then, you know, then price my time into it. And I think, you know, what I've got better things to do. I've got kids to play with, you know, in the garden and stuff like that. Do I, do I really want to fret about, you know, several hundred quid? Mm, no, not, not for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always a tough one because there are also principles involved about people paying off. And I think I must have talked about this in the early days of the podcast, but one of the properties we rent out specifically to students and there was one student who left the property and had arrears of about uh, I think about 1700 pounds 2000 pounds which is quite a lot for a single room so he just hadn't paid hadn't paid and then moved to Ireland and it was therefore very difficult for us to 
make any headway into getting that payment back because guarantors were also overseas. But the tenant was 21. And I genuinely, I thought, well, now how would I want, you know, you know, I kind of treated it like I would treat with all my own children. And obviously I'm sometimes a, a tough dad. But I thought, well, the principle needs to be made here because I could just write this off as a bad debt and move on. But I emailed the, the, the former tenant a couple of times and he was non-responsive. And I just, but the final message I sent to him was, look, this is my last message to you before I go to court on this. And if I go to court on this, they'll have to serve you a CCJ. That will, that's what will happen. And if you get a CCJ, that's going to be on your file for six years, something I can now attest to personally, another podcast, another day. It'll be on your file for six years. And I said, if that's the case, you won't be able to get any credit anywhere for six years. So I don't know what your plans are, but you know, if you wanted to move out of the house, if you want to buy a, flat, buy a sofa, buy a TV, anything on credit, it's not going to be possible. He responded fairly swiftly to that one and said, okay, what can we do? So long story short, we worked it out. And I, I think I, we agreed on something like 50% of the payment. But for me, that was, that was a principle-based thing, not a legal one. It was like, you know, I, I don't want, I certainly want more my kids expecting that they can just leave places that they've agreed to pay rents for and sign contracts and then just walk away from it without any, any sort of fight back or you know, a- anything otherwise. Exactly. It's the, it's the principle of it. It's, we live in a, a society where people are expected to follow rules for the, the sort of harmonious living of everyone. And it does irk you when people don't follow those rules. And I do have that sort of feeling when, when you come up against that, that it's kind of your responsibility to help enforce those rules and to make sure that, that people do do the right thing and do, do follow along and partake in the, the, the same rules-based society as everyone else. But at the same time, as you said, is it really worth the hassle and the effort in certain cases? You say, where it's a few hundred pounds or even a couple of thousand pounds. It's just so much work and stress and actual cost if you get solicitors involved to, to do things for you. And if you don't get solicitors involved to do things for you, it's a lot of work and stress to prepare paperwork and attend court hearings and follow through that process. Yeah, it's, I, I, I've, I've been through this process in order to secure evictions where they've been necessary, but I've never followed through to regain owed rent because it's just that where, where you need to do the eviction, you have to go through the process, unfortunately. And it just takes so much work and so much effort. And I wouldn't want to go through that again to try and get a, a court-awarded repayment, probably to then find that the tenant doesn't actually have any money anyway, so you won't actually see any, any money as a result of it. It Just for the, the sort of enforcement of the, the rules and the principles, it's, yeah, life's too short. Yeah, I- exactly. Exactly. Life is too short. And speaking of being short, we're probably we're probably running just slightly over on our agreed times for the podcast. So we are going to wrap up. So hope you've all enjoyed our chat today about RRO S21 and and all things fun or not related to property. 
for any notes that we've discussed, including those around the nearly legal website, around RRO and other subjects, all can be found on thebusinessofproperty.com. And if you've enjoyed the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Other than that, we'll see you next week.